episode three of season three of Wicked Huercas. I am Wicked Huerca number one, Cece and Dulce. Wicked Huerca number two, Dulce, as always, with all the emotion and excitement. Dulce, officially 21. I feel like we've been talking about this. Officially a 21-year-old house life as an t- official 21-year-old. It's been great. So the depression, stress, anxiety never went away. In that time, I've become sick. I've been taking a lot of naps lately. I've been stressed by school. So 21 is exactly what I thought it was going to be. And in that time, I've also become sick. It is not COVID, but it's definitely the sniffles. And I think what's messing us up, I'm sure like it is in a lot of places in the U.S., it is flu season. One day or in the morning, it's cold. Midday, it's hot. Afternoon, it's freezing. We've been uh, heavy on the Mucinex and the Kleenex and the... I bought this. I hate to be a stereotype again, but I bought some Vaporu. Anytime I get Vaporu, I think of dad. Yeah, I can't buy it anymore specifically because of dad. That man lathered it on my nose. I heard I have a pretty big nose and for him to put like half the bottle on it, like there's a lot of surface area to cover. I could just think of the word vapor rub and I could just like immediately feel it. As a first generation (laughs) millennial, I have to go with traditional but not traditional and i found lavender one had you ever seen the lavender one look how tiny it is love the tiny bottle had not seen lavender but do they have eucalyptus and mint because that is my ultimate favorite scent so dulce today we are talking about you know we always say we talk about topics and never taking them too seriously sometimes you do need to take them seriously sometimes you don't i don't know but i think this is one of those topics that we need to take seriously so Uh, As we talked about, we are talking about traditions, and this week is Thanksgiving week. I will say a lot has been going on in the news, so maybe we can catch up with that before we get to Thanksgiving. I'll let you have the mic for a bit. Uh, We'll start on a lighthearted note, I guess. What's going on with Brittany? How do you know me so well? I was about to bring up my girl. Oh my god, I'm so excited. So you may know um, a little singer. Her name is Britney Spears. And recently, she was free from her conservatorship. So she is a free woman. She's a free woman out there in the world. She can do what she wants. She's not restricted by her parents or any of her family. If you want to learn more about conservatorships, please Google that because I didn't know anything about it until the Free Britney movement. And it was actually pretty interesting. So don't watch the documentaries because it didn't help Britney's case besides publicity. But do look up conservatorships and kind of the timeline of Britney's case. We've liked Britney since we moved to the U.S. It was one of the first albums we got in the U.S. And I honestly don't remember how we got it or from who or where but maybe one more time we all know all every single song anyway so it was one of the first cds and i'm happy for her now she can twirl around as much as she want i don't know I, do you think she's gonna do a tell all kind of thing i feel bad because i'm happy for her but i feel like now people are gonna do the same thing that they did back in the day and the paparazzi or whatever are just gonna flood her again she just needs to like log off of everything and be like leave me alone I think she will do a tell-all. I think it will probably be Oprah because she has become the queen of the tell-all. I wouldn't doubt if she's already filmed it, but I think it's going to take a little bit to release. Okay, logging off social media, I don't think she will because I think she genuinely enjoys the weird freedom and creativity that she can do from that. And the third point of it, of 
will she be chased by the media? I think she will. But I think this time it'll be maybe different. People are going to continue to harass, or I'm not going to say people, the paparazzi are going to continue to harass her. But I think that now people are so aware of her case and so aware of what she went through that they're going to start holding these people accountable. I now understand why Brittany shaved her head and went through that whole phase in her 20s or early 20s. Like early 20s, that's a lot of the times when any kind of mental health issue comes up because it's one of the most stressful points in your life. You're making a lot of decisions and I understand why she went through that. So I'm happy for her to be able to get a little better. Now we're going to move on to... House of Gucci. What is it that Gaga says? Father, son, and house of Gucci. I saw... Wait, that was such a bad impression. Can you do it better? My favorite one is... um, uh, It's something along the lines of, like, I'm not an ethical person, but I am fair. <laughs> yeah, House of Gucci comes out during Thanksgiving this week, actually. It looks so good. I love Lady Gaga. I've loved her from the beginning. But it also has my other favorite boy in the entire world, Mr. Adam Driver. Uh, Adam Driver, if you're out there in the world, I just want to thank you for your GQ photo shoot. I think it truly saved my life. <laughs> Why do you think he's cute, Dulce? I, his face confuses me. He reminds me of like a caterpillar, like a very smooth-faced, very sophisticated caterpillar. And that's a problem. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Adam Driver is just a very talented man. I think he uh, speaks very eloquently, but I think if you just refer again, once again, to his GQ photo shoot, I think you will see the charm. I think also, I think if you watch anything that from last week tonight with John Oliver, I feel like actually I've got the perfect answer. If you want to know why Adam Driver is cute, watch any segment that John Oliver has done where he mentions Adam Driver. And I think you will truly understand. Yeah, super excited to watch that. Another thing that I uh, wanted to touch base on that I think really connected with what we're talking today is what happened in Wisconsin. I'm not going to get too deep into it because there's plenty of info out there. Just kind of what happened with the trial in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He was not convicted for the murder of, I believe, three people. This hap- This is at, was it during a protest in uh, August of 2020. I think it was from Illinois, went to Wisconsin, was 17 at the time and had uh, a weapon and claimed that he killed this person in self-defense. I think a lot of people kind of figured it would come the way that it did, that that he wouldn't be convicted. And like I said, this is a much deeper topic that is much better to really read about. There is definitely so much information out there. It really kind of, I don't know, kind of reminded people of of what our justice system is like. And and I think that ties together with Thanksgiving um, because, I don't know, I think it, at the end of the day, for example, Thanksgiving, this is a, a tradition that has gone on forever. But at the end of the day, we have to realize that it's a tradition that essentially glorifies or has a background of killing and murder. So I think that is something that we need to talk about before we get to the jokes. And I think as we've grown up in this country, uh, it's not just that we're more aware, but people are, I think, wanting to understand more of what are we celebrating? Why are we celebrating it? Thanksgiving doesn't exist in, in Mexico. So when we moved to the U.S., I don't know, do you remember what you learned about Thanksgiving in in elementary school or in school? Um, I remember. So we learned pilgrims, 
came to the U.S., failed at um, surviving multiple times in harsh winters, and they just weren't good at being humans here in the U.S. or colonial or pre-colonial America, whatever you want to call. Eventually, they befriended some Indians. They learned some tips and tricks, and they were like, as a thank you, let's all come together and not fight, and we're gonna have a cute dinner together. And that was Thanksgiving. Over the years, they we like slowly started adding new details information to that. It was like, oh, they survived harsh winters, but then the Native Americans were attacking them. Oh, they survived harsh winters, and the Native Native Americans were attacking them, but they were also attacking back. And there was diseases, and there was this and that. We got a lot of perspective from the pilgrims. And we really never heard anything from the Native American perspective. And to be honest with you, I feel like in school, I really didn't learn that much. And I'm going to be honest with you, it wasn't until like recently. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a good thing to point out. I think not just with Native American issues, but with Black issues and even Mexican-American issues. And I would say the past four years... No, really, since I started college was when I started learning about going more in depth, which I think, but also growing up, I wasn't taught that obviously in school. I was learn. we were learning what we were being taught. It's not like our parents were going to be like, this is what Thanksgiving is like, or this is what black people went through in the U.S. because they don't know either because we were all new to the country. So if anything, we're the ones now that are learning, teaching our parents. We didn't really pay attention to what this holiday was about or these traditions because they weren't ours. We've had to deal with our own issues that like the mental space growing up just wasn't there. I think immigration is probably the biggest one or issues that were very specific to us as a Mexican first generation person that I didn't have the mental capacity. Also, I was so young until I got to college when I felt like when A, I had DACA and I didn't have to worry as much. And B, I had other people that could teach me because A, our parents didn't know and our teachers and our textbooks weren't exactly given the information that we needed. I think that's a really good point about not having the mental space. It kind of brings up a whole, like a, another point to that, which is like, we're now that we know this information, or not just specifically us, but collectively, we're so quick to like, you don't know this? How come you don't know this by now? And But like, you have to realize how much information we've been given in such a short amount of time, specifically if you just weren't, you know, if you didn't have access to that information. Like I said, like, I learned about it through the internet. I was in high school when I learned this information. I had to seek it out myself. No, I get it because, you know, the things, we, just like how we've talked about before, I think it was in our first season, the link we, you know, I used to have a super country accent, you know, not so much because that is the Spanish. I mean, that is the English that we learned. That is what we were around. I think the same thing goes with A, traditions, B, biases, and knowledge. We knew what was around us, more specifically U.S. issues. Um, we only really got one perspective. Even in school, I don't care what people say, even in school and like government class, we really only got one perspective. And that was the white conservative perspective. And that's what we grew up with. It's not like it was that diverse of a place. Even though we had information that's on the internet, we're going to go with what we're surrounded by because that's all we knew. And these are, like I said, these are new things. These are new traditions. I think that's a fair point to bring up. Also, the way we viewed Native Americans collectively changed so much. Even up until high school, like some 
some things didn't resonate with me until after I left. I'm like, oh my gosh, the things we said, the things we did, those are those were not okay. One, on behalf of the students. Two, those were not okay for the teachers to approve of. Like you, like we are, I don't want to say children because by that time you're, you're still kids, but you're like becoming aware of things. But the fact that there was adult supervision or adults there and enabled that type of behavior, I think that's what makes me the most mad about it. I'm like, you are fully grown adults. I understand, you know, if you're in that, in a limited conservative group, not even just conservative, if you're just in a in a bubble that you're just going to only interact with those things. But like the fact that they enabled it and they also didn't see anything wrong with it. I don't, I don't know. Yes. Back in the day when we were growing up, we were kids, but we could have Googled some things. And I think kids are more aware now as someone who is first generation and is trying to understand things, especially when we're younger, you're going with the U.S. culture that's around you, that they're teaching you. Like I said, it's the only perspective we had. I went to Martin Methodist College, which is now UT Southern. They had a lot of a lot of like social justice clubs or whatever. And I was able to go. We went to Cherokee, North Carolina, to the Cherokee Nation Reservation. And we met with people from there. And they talked about A, their struggles of growing up and being put in the schools, you know, being taken away from the parents and being put in schools where they couldn't speak their native language. They had to learn English and having their their mouth literally you know washed with soap and being hit if they said anything and they were literally taken away from their parents the high sexual abuse rate the high diabetes rate the high domestic violence rate because they don't have the resources to take care of the high drug use rate especially among teens because they don't have the resources and essentially sometimes they're isolated in that trip and really my time in college is when I learned all these things it's so funny because growing up we grew up in a really white centric town I guess you would call it that. And so you start to be like what's around you because that's the culture you're learning. But then you also start almost seeing yourself as that, that you forget who you are. Seeing on the textbook something that said Indian, you know, these what this is what they look like. Oh, well, that doesn't look like me. That never, not once in my life did I look at a textbook or something and look at a Native American and thought, huh, that looks like me or that looks like my family. Really? Well, maybe it's because I'm, I have different facial features features facial features than you because I looked like all of them <laughs> I looked like I belong in the textbook so when I saw that I didn't think like oh I am Native American because I knew I wasn't a hundred percent Native American I knew that like I, that's very I was very self-aware of that but I was like we are part of the same group though because I have the nose I have the facial structure. I had the long dark hair in my classes growing up. It was very obvious, like there was like a very much a difference. For me, it was distinctly obvious. I, I'm shocked that you didn't think that. No, and I didn't even pay because again, I grew up thinking that was historical. Those are, you know, like people from the past. I didn't, I didn't connect that. I was, I think I was so busy just trying to like get myself into the culture and like being in, like being in the culture that was around me. I didn't even make that connection. I made the connection to people in the past. Like you said, like a historical thing. 
but in my mind i didn't think about them in the present tense and i think that's that's what ended up hurting my growth with how we view native americans because again i saw myself reflected in the people from the past but since again we don't see many native americans today i i, I was never considerate or compassionate enough to think about them in a present tense I feel like that's for a reason. I mean, what you just said, that was on purpose. <laughs> I feel like that's on purpose, you know? I think that same week we were talking about, or that same semester or year, whatever, that we were talking about Native issues. Sometime in the semester, they had like a, I don't even know what to call it, like a like a fair where they had like different Native people come in. I like was talking to a guy and he was like, oh, well, are you Native? I was like, no, I don't think so. I'm Mexican. <laughs> And he was like, well, I mean, you probably are. And I didn't connect that until like I started really looking. I was like, all these Native people I just saw at this in the pictures in the museum, they look like I look like them. They look like they look like my parents. They look like my uncles. They look wait why do they look mexican like literally in my mind in my 18 year old 19 year old i was like why do they look mexican wait it's because we're native and no we're not 100 percent native but dulce you took a, a what a, a, what do they call 23 and me based on what they had we had a pretty high percentage of native but again that's a whole nother thing no matter the percentage, you look at our family, especially I think our family from my our mom's side, and we are a hundred like we are native. We have native blood. It's not, and that's another controversy of what constitutes as native. You know, lots of Mexicans, just like we have Spaniard blood that people love to bring up <laughs> uh, and that people love to romanticize. We also have native blood because our family is native, and so connecting that, I was like, what the crap? Like, why? How do I not? connect that when i went to mexico this summer for the first time in 20 years and i went when we were in mexico city and in uh jalisco you look at the native people and i'm just like how do i not give that connection of native in mexico and native in the u.s is we're native that was okay what you said is so important and a hundred percent what i thought because in my mind growing up even though again it wasn't that long ago if you within my lifetime again seemed like a totally different time but it wasn't that long ago in my mind i was like okay native american u.s native in mexico a wholly different thing but it's not native american means in the continent of america because they weren't divided like they were today and that blew my mind because i remember in history class we talked about the natives and it segregated that way too. But it was like the people with the Pueblo huts in Arizona. And I was like, Pueblo, wait, that's in Spanish. Why is that? What's going on here? And I didn't make the connection until later. And I was like, oh my God, that's the same group. It, I, I, I was truly shocked. And I, when you said that, it reminded me of that. Isn't that insane though? Like we are so far apart from knowing where we are, where we come from, especially when you're trying to connect to a new culture that we don't realize our own people. <laughs> but like, no, wait, people that looked like me were here before people that looked like you. So I don't understand. So now that I went back to Mexico, all around Jalisco, Jalisco clearly was very heavily colonized i went to an island in jalisco called mezcala and it is the only place in the in mexico that was not colonized but the people around there in the town around there native we went to one of the little museums and it was about the 
native culture and the story about how they fought against colonization. And I'm just like, is it really taking me this long at 27 years old to connect all of these points? I don't know. You see it a lot with religion. We saw so, I think especially in high school, we saw, we went to so many churches and, you know, the native erasure is enormous and the angels are white we went to this church and the the priest in the Catholic church was like, they called them los naturales, the naturals. Didn't call natives native, called them los naturales. Like if they were some kind of fairy tale being. You know, you know what's funny is you were like, the angels were white. And in my mind, I was like, what is she talking about? Like, and I, I didn't even think to think about it from a religious perspective that angels could be of color literally right now. I was like, what is she talking about? The angels being white. And then I started thinking about the depiction of angels and I was like, they're all white. It, it never occurred to me. I was like, huh, if I was religious, if I was a believer, angels could be POC. And you know what? In U.S., I'm used to seeing white angels. I'm used to seeing white Jesus. I'm even used to seeing black Jesus, actually. I'm used to seeing white, white depiction of everything. But to be in your own country and see white depictions, too, the anger, the backstabbing, I was like, are you serious? Here, too? And it, it's just as bad. The Spaniards sent some of their best people to come help the naturals or the naturales. Again, you're talking to millennial, Gen C, first generation, second generation Mexican kids that we are discovering ourselves and who we are. And now we're in Mexico and you're telling me the priest who looks native around white Jesus that they sent their best people to colonize and care and teach the naturals, as he called, just the native. I could have walked out of that church, but I didn't. It was just like a slap in the face. We think it's distorted in the U.S. It's distorted in Mexico. It's distorted by the colonizers themselves. I came across this tweet on August 14th. Vox Spain, which has been known to have uh, far right views, tweeted. I'm going to read the English translation because the Spanish, I will butcher it if I say it in Spanish. They said, on a day like today, 500 years, years ago, a troop of Spaniards led by Hernán Cortés and native allies achieved the surrender of Tenochtitlan. I can't say that. Anyways, Spain managed to free millions of people from the bloodthirsty and terror regime of the Aztecs. Proud of our history. I am not making this up. Go to Vox Spain. And I read that and I was like, I'm sorry, what? I quote tweeted it and I put, como se dice, yikes. That is insane. It brings up another point. A, when we were in Mexico, and I wish I could remember her name. We went to a place called... Tala, Jalisco, they were very proud of is that there, there was a indigenous ruler who was one of the only, I wish I could remember her name, women indigenous rulers in Mexico, was very popular and people loved her. And she fought really hard against colonization until essentially they were colonized. They tell us this whole story about how she was a woman warrior, one of the only women warrior, proud in native indigenous and how she like led battles and armies or whatever. In the statue that they had, it was her dressed, you know, as a native and she is holding a cross. And so I asked, I'm confused. We've talked about how she fought against colonization, but she's holding a cross, which is 
Christianity, which came from colonization. So I don't understand. They were like, oh, it's because though she resisted at first, she came to love or she came to accept Jesus uh, or she came to love Christianity and accept Christianity and she converted to Christianity. I'm like, she came to love it or she was forced. So it was these things. And I think with this trip too, it all comes back full circle. Our people suffer the same things as the native, the natives that we couldn't identify with in the textbooks. And let me tell you, there's just so much more to discover. Yeah, it's insane. I, I feel like there's certain groups, racial groups, that get more prominence in the media, which is uh, obviously you can literally look that up in the USC Annenberg Institute. There's certain groups that get more media play. And then there's others that like you hear virtually nothing about and learn nothing about. It's not until you get exposed to it that you even start questioning these things. Like we said earlier, like we weren't exposed to Native Americans, so we didn't or, you know, our concept of Native Americans. So we didn't think to question that. I'm telling you, that's the dissonance with it. Like it's, but our thinking was made to think that those were two separate entities, that there could be no correlation between that, that they were two separate groups and that they went through different experiences and that their experiences could be summarized in a paragraph of a textbook. But isn't it so interesting? Because I see that too. Growing up, when we watched, what is it? What is that MLK video? My friend Martin, growing up and seeing that, growing up and learning about slavery and learning about what they went through and learning, I think specifically learning about segregation and Jim Crow laws and all of that. It was so easy as one of the only brown people, but it was so easy to put myself in that situation and think, I'm thinking if I would have existed at that time in the US, I would have gone through that same thing. Because A, we're not learning about Mexican exper Mexican American experiences. We're not, we couldn't even identify with the native experience because we didn't make that connection. We didn't even talk about it. Anytime there was mention of slavery, because there was very few black people, and especially in my classes, there was no people of color. They would automatically just look over and look at me like, oh, we're talking about slavery. Is this you? And then in my mind, I was like, not that it was, or again, that I that we identify with the Black perspective, because we definitely don't. I, like you said, I empathize with that, specifically segregation. I love that you mentioned that, because I guess most people talk about just slavery. But when whenever we talked about segregation, and I, do you know what I think drove that, or why we made that connection? Is because when you see the pictures in textbooks, it was white, or colored. It never says white and black. It always said white and colored. And I was like, well, I know I'm definitely not white, so I must be colored. Therefore, I would have been in this subgroup. When I was in school, when we talked about like slavery, I always put myself in that position. I never put myself in, in I knew I saw I looked like them, but I never put myself in the position of being the Native American. I'm going to say this, like slave too, because they went through those things too. I never put myself in that position to be that person. I knew I physically looked like them. I knew there was some sort of connection, but I never fully identified with that thought. It's so interesting that we, I wonder how many other people had that too. We are like, oh, we're not native because we don't identify with a tribe. And I think that's why. And it's not like it was just like, uh, oh, I experienced this and you're my sibling and you also experienced this because we've never talked about this. It's not like this is a conversation that comes up, you know, anytime we get together. This is 
completely two individual experiences in two different times in the same place. And I think that has a lot to say. If you had the same experience, let us know. But bringing it back to Native issues and identifying as Native, then you look at Guatemalans and people are like, what in the Guatemala or like Indios or whatever. It's Native rights and Native this, Native that. Thinking about U.S. Because a lot of these people commenting are obviously Latinos or Latinx people living in the U.S. It's Native this, Native that. Until you go down South and look at the natives in, for example, in Guatemala, then they don't identify as native. Then they identify as Mexican or Colombian or whatever. That's a great point. And it reminded me of like when Yalitza was in Roma, because they made such a big deal about her being indigenous. That was the whole, that was the buzzword. She's indigenous. It made me so mad because they otherized her from her own country. Yes, she was from Mexico, but before she was from Mexico, she was indigenous. It's like, oh, you can't be from Mexico and also have this part of your identity. Because why? Because Mexicans are lighter skin. Because Mexicans uphold more Spaniard standards to what people look like and what they talk like and what they do. Those people that are saying that are having this disassociation that we had that that's them, that's not me, until you realize, well, maybe it is me. <laughs> it's just my family was more colonized than theirs. And so the other point is, when you grow up celebrating but not celebrating, what do you do? We moved to the U.S. and our family made th learned how to make Thanksgiving food because we were like, turkey? <laughs> I've never had that. Wait, I think I like it. Are not foods that we ever ate. Then we get here, we're like, wait, you eat this once a year and everyone gets together? Yeah, and so you just start doing it because you get to see your family and you get to start making these foods that are foreign to you, that are good. But then you don't even know why you're doing it. You're doing it because you get the day off and you get to eat that food. At this point, I think when we are aware, I think the controversy is or what people question is I know this I don't support it but I still want to get together with my family and eat I think especially maybe for Latin Latinx community it's become a, a cultural thing because people in Mexico not everyone but there's like a, a good percentage that celebrate Thanksgiving but they don't know the cultural history of it and they're just like Dia de Acción de Gracias you know like because it's been a rough year, we've been through it all, we survived, here's a good food. I find that really interesting. And I think people like us that are discovering are kind of in that middle ground of, I can be aware of what's happening and I can stem away from glorifying these holidays. But how can I still take time to be with my family and eat good food. So I think, you know, that's a question for everyone listening. As you learn and decolonize, I would say, is the word. How are you merging what you used to do and what you want to do now? How are you making new traditions? How are you erasing some traditions? It's an interesting concept. And it's I, I don't think there's exactly a right or wrong answer because we're all still learning and understanding. But I think having the conversations and not glorifying and acknowledging why this happens in the first place is a step. Dulce, last question. You know, we can't all be, we can't always be too serious. Favorite Thanksgiving food? I said dressing. Dressing's the best. Dressing is the best. Um, number two, I would say mac and cheese. Number three, mashed potatoes. So I hope everyone has a good week. I hope you all stay healthy. If you don't, Get your lavender vaporu and take care of yourselves.
Dulce, any last words? Do research on Native causes and be active towards uh, Native communities. So uh, if you can help fund, that's great. If you can just spread awareness, that's also great. And be active and watch content created by Native people. That's one. Enjoy Thanksgiving or um, enjoy the food, not maybe the the religious component of it. Or if you do want to enjoy the religious component of it, that's on you. Good for you, I guess. Um, three, eat lots of dressing. Or if you're a family that does stuffing, I guess eat that. And we will see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it and leave us a review. If you have a story you would like to share regarding today's episode, email your story at menosmal.goodness at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on an episode. To hear more from us, head to our blog at www.menos-mal.com. This episode was written and edited by your hosts, Dulce Maciel and Cecilia Maciel Martinez. The theme music for this podcast is by Mario Martinez. This has been a Menos Mal podcast.